Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. Well, I want to talk to you about something pretty interesting this morning. Uh, The title of my message is Being a Sheep in a Goat Culture. Being a Sheep in a Goat Culture. How many are you ready? How many of you have experienced some goat culture out there? Huh? Are you the only sheep on your job? Are some of you wondering, what do you mean by sheep? Well, I'll explain as we go, okay? You know, because really, all we have to do to conform to culture is to just wake up in the morning and just do whatever anybody else is doing. If we, if we flow with the stream, man, we're, we're going to be flowing with culture. I mean, I, I was going to show you a video this morning, and I didn't have time to get it together. But Candid Camera, how many of you remember the show Candid Camera? They used to do all these funny things. Well, they did this, this thing they called conformity test. And so what they showed was the, the oh, do we have it? Oh, well, we'll play it. That'd be great. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, He looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more (laughs) to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. (laughs) Now we'll see if we can use see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice, they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. My word, isn't that amazing? So all that needs to happen is just go with the flow. Do what everybody else is doing, right? And that's how you conform to the culture. So, but here's the thing. When you were born again, now what I mean by born again was you made Jesus Lord of your life. You didn't just pray a prayer. 
okay? Because many of us have prayed a prayer. I prayed a prayer when I was six years old, but I, but I, but I truly got saved when I was in my teens because I discovered, oh, I need to take on God's DNA. That means I have to die to me, and I need to begin to live for him. So how many of you, when you made Jesus Lord of your life, you died to yourself and you began to live for Christ? You said, that's me, man. I began to live for God. And so when you did that, you took on his DNA. Do you know what I mean by that? Nicodemus was trying to figure this out. He came to Jesus and Jesus said, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, what do you mean born again? What does that mean? Being born again, could do, do I need to go back in the womb and be born again? No, <clears throat> when you receive Jesus, when you make him Lord of your life and you take on his DNA, now his blood flows through your veins. Yeah. It's a permanent adoption, man. Yeah. It's a blessing. I mean, his blood now is flowing through my veins. I take on his character, his DNA. Man, isn't that good? So, you're over there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. Look at what it says. I'm going to read it to you, the New King James. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. The children of God. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're God's kid. You're God's kid. All right, now look at this other verse. Turn, turn over to John, or I'll just read it to you. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. So God gave you the right to become his kid. Sons and daughters of God. Now, that's the only right you have. Why? Because what happens? When you get born again, you surrender your rights to God. Why? Because I've put off my old man and I've taken on the new man. Is that, is everybody making, is that making sense for everybody? So my right is to become a child of God. Man, how many of you guys remember the movie Annie? Remember Daddy Warbucks in that movie? Right? Okay, some of you didn't see it. That's all good. But Daddy Warbucks, Daddy Warbucks was this mega wealthy, rich man. He had all kinds of wealth and resources available to him. And what did he do? He found little Annie and she won his heart and he adopted her. And said, hey, how would you like to come and live in my 39-room mansion? How would you like to always have food on the table? Always have more than enough. What you need. Man, isn't that a blessing? Man, that's what God did for us. Okay, I can tell. We're, we're getting excited here. John chapter 9. Look over at John chapter 9. I want to read verse 23 to you. And my wife said, honey, take your time this morning. So how many of you are in agreement with her? Okay, all right, got some agreement there. Nine, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says this. If anyone desires, this is Jesus talking, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. Okay, so the kingdom that we have come into when we've received Jesus, we've made him Lord of our life, the kingdom that we have come into is a, is a kind of a backwards kingdom. Why? Because you have to die to live. You have to give to receive. Does that make sense? 
And, you know, you have to, you have to go low if you want to be exalted. You have to humble yourself. Amen? So the cross tells you who you're called and created to be. It removes sin to expose your potential, your purpose, and your destiny. But let me tell you something. You are called, though, much beyond just being born again, much beyond just making Jesus Lord of your life. We are called to be a light. We are called to be a light in a dark world. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. It says this, Your lives light up the world. Let others see your light from a great distance. For how can you hide the city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from the light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things that you do will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. So our job as Christians, what we're called to do is to be a light into the world for others. So our focus is other people. Jesus, you remember, he knelt down and what did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. Because the disciples were talking about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think I will be. I think I will be. Remember the sons of thunder? Their mom came to Jesus, said, Lord, grant that one of my sons can sit on your right and one of my sons can sit on your left. Jesus said, that's not mine to even grant. You know, and the other disciples got mad at him. So they're having these discussions, who's going to be greatest? And what did Jesus do? He took off his robe, he put on servants' clothes, and he began to wash their feet. What is he doing? His light's shining. His light's shining. How does our light shine? It's by what we do for other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's by, because here's the reason I'm bringing this up. When we traveled in ministry, we were in hundreds of churches. We were in a different church every Sunday, listening to pastors much like you're listening to me right now. <clears throat> 90, over 90% today of pastors are going to preach about what God will do for you. That was the message I heard every church that we went to. And, and by and large, you know, there's a lot of people that need God to do some things in their life. But we live in a reverse kingdom. Our, the kingdom that we live in is the kingdom that you need God to do something in your life. You need to do something for someone else. I got, man. I remember when we were in debt. We were in uh, Austin, Texas. We had over $12,000 in liability debt. So liability debt is stuff that, you know, you don't have. It's not like you can just go sell a car and pay it off. You know, it's just accumulated debt. <clears throat> and I, man, the Lord had convicted me that we were to owe no man anything. I said, God, how do I get out of this debt? And he said, the answer is in your giving. Oh, okay. Well, who do you want me to give to, Lord? And it's amazing when you submit yourself to God and when you begin to ask him to help you, he'll show you how to do it. The Holy Spirit's amazing. He knows everything. And he's smarter than you. Okay, don't be offended. 
Okay, I know. I mean, you're smart, okay? I'm not saying you're dumb, but he's smarter than you. Isn't that good news? Man. And so, man, he began to show me, okay, I want you to every, I want you to every paycheck, I want you to bless your pastor. Man, I, so I used, to, I used to take cash and put it in an envelope and slide it under his door before he got to work in the morning. And he said, I want you to start blessing another one of the pastors. So I started blessing him. And then God directed us to give somewhere else. And then I'm, I'm sowing in that area. And then I said, well, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. You're giving me wisdom. You're telling me where to sow. And I thank you that you're going to help us pay, pay that debt off. Well, do you know what happened? One of the pastors that I was sowing into, he said, he said hey, Phil. He said, how was your tax return the last couple of years? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, how much did you get back? I thought, well, that's kind of a personal question. I mean, you know, how much did you get back? You know? <laughs> no, he said, no, I'm asking you for a reason. So I told him, and he said, I don't think, I don't think you did your taxes right. He said, I do taxes uh, for a lot of people. He said, do you mind if I just look at them? I said, no. I mean, if you think I'm owed something, that'd be great. Well, do you know what he found out? I was owed over $13,000 from the IRS. Glory to God. Man. And, and they, so I called the IRS. I said, guys, is this right? Is this right that you owe me? And, he's, and he said, yes, sir, it is. He said, in fact, we owe you with interest. Psh, glory to God. And you know what? They paid me back. And what did I do, man? I paid that debt off. And I blessed that pastor with a big old check and thanked him for saving us. But let me tell you, the Christian walk is not about us. I found that God took care of my needs when I gave out to other people. And the tithe was in that. That was another thing. We prayed and believed God for not just enough to pay the debt off, enough to tithe. Amen. All right. So why am I bringing this up? Because our message today is not about what God can do for us. My message today is about how can I be a better sheep in a goat nation how, or a goat culture? How can I let my light shine? Amen. <clears throat> let, me show you, let me show you a couple of statistics here. I, I saw this on the news a couple of weeks ago. It was, on, it was on the news and they had this pastor come on and he was sharing some statistics. And this is what he shared. He said, the generation that's coming up today cares less about patriotism, religion, and family. These are the stats that he gave. He said patriotism, back in 1998, uh, the care percentage was 70%. Now it's 61%. In religion, in 1998, it was 62%. Now it's 50%. Oh, we have those up there. Great. And then in 1998, for family, 59%. Now 43%. Let me tell you something. Culture has changed a little bit, okay? But culture may change, but God doesn't change. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, talk about consistency. So, so let me ask you a question. How do I be how can I be a better sheep in a goat culture? Because I don't know about you. I mean, in the church, when you work for a church, which I've, Nicole and I have worked for several churches, <clears throat> you're kind of in a bubble. You come to work every day, and you work around Christians. You work around people that are in love with God. 
you know, and, and, and so it's not an accurate picture of culture. <clears throat> and so what we've seen, though, is we've got this bubble, but then you step outside of this bubble. And I remember when we went to work for a church that didn't have church on Sunday morning. That was almost heresy. <laughs> I mean, I'd grown up my whole life. Sunday morning, Sunday night. How many of the rest of you? Wednesday night, man. We went to church until we just, man, we got calluses on our backside. We sat down on those pews, right? I mean, going to church all the time. Okay, so, 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 <clears throat> what was I talking about? Huh? Yeah, yeah, so we're, I'm sorry. So this church, they don't have church on Sunday night or on Sunday morning. They have it on Sunday night. Well, so this one Sunday morning, I, I decided I'm going to mow my lawn. I mean, I'm home, I, you know, and I'm mowing my lawn. And here my neighbor comes walking out to get in his car with his tie on, his suit, you know, and his wife's in his dress. And they're looking at me like, we thought you were a Christian. Well, I am a Christian. But this church that we went to work for, it was a biker church. They started with 40 bikers and two families. I was really nervous. Zach was three years old. We were going to put him in the nursery. I thought, dear God, was, is he going to come out of the nursery with tattoos and stuff on? I mean, a leather jacket, you know, a dog collar or something. I thought, dear God, what are we doing to our kids? You know, and I put him in there. And I remember I was so nervous the first service. I, you know, I went, to the, I went to service. And, man, they're playing thrash, heavy metal, worship music. It was rocking. I was loving it. Okay, I mean, it was, we were worshiping God. But, I mean, you know, they're playing this heavy metal music, and they get into the message, and I think, man, I need to go check on my son. I just want to make sure that, you know, he's still, I know he's going to be a manly man, but I don't want him growing hair yet, okay? I mean, he's three years old. So I go back there, and they have the window that you can see through, the only, you know, it's one-sided, the mirror thing, you know, and so they can't see out, but I can see in, and I don't see my son anywhere. I'm looking around, and where is he? And then all of a sudden, here he comes running across the front of the window. And he's wearing a tutu. I said, God, we are going the wrong direction. Why is he wearing a tutu? Anyway. So my point is, this church, though, began, it broke off so many religious things off of our lives. That we didn't realize that we had. Because we're, I mean, some of you saw Zach playing worship barefoot up here. And you're, you're dealing with it, aren't you? Some of you, I can tell. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, there's religious things that we have held on to and we're, and I, I don't know why he's doing that, but okay, uh, I, you know, I wasn't here last week, so, but anyway, but you, do you guys see what I'm saying? You know, sometimes we need things that are, are just preferences, but they're not principles, broken off of our lives. And so that was the first time that we began to discover, oh, there's a whole world out here and the thing I loved about that church and I appreciated so much was so many people were coming in from the world and they were getting born again because people in the world would say well I don't, I don't want to go to any, I'd go to that church because because it seemed like they would be accepting of them and I remember this one guy came he was a, he was a rough character man he's a biker he got born again and he he man he wanted to where can I help? Man, where can I help? Well, we, you could be a greeter. Welcome people as they come in. And so people come in the door. He'd grab their hand and he'd say, how the hell are you? And people just look at him like, uh, I'm good. 
how are you? You know, and, and why? Because the world was still being broken off of this guy, you know. And so they, you know, the pastor, they let him know, and he goes, "Hey, man, you're doing a great job. You know, just man, maybe just don't use the word hell. Uh, you know, just keep keep the enthusiasm." And he goes, "Oh, you're right, man. You know, I mean, God, God was working on him. So I want to show you an example of culture changing and how you would respond to it. Now, turn over to the book of Daniel, all right? The book of Daniel, you guys will remember there were four guys in the book of Daniel. There's Daniel. I want to give their, their, their first names before their names were changed here. Uh, let me see if I can find them. Azariah. Yeah, there it is. Hananiah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, so they, those, all four of their names were changed, and I'll get into that in a minute. But think about these guys. These guys are sons of kings, sons of nobles. You know, these are guys that have grown up in the cream of the crop in Judah. They've had a great upbringing so far. You know, these are, these are young men. They've had a wonderful life. All of their needs have been met. They've grown up in, in an amazing culture. And now... The culture has changed because Nebuchadnezzar has come in. He's sieged, uh, besieged Judah. He's taken over. And he, now he's hauled everybody off to Babylon. So think about your life, how your life would change if somebody came into your home in this nation and this nation changed overnight. Okay, so that's where we are. Look at Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, uh, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So, he brings these young men in. And what's the first thing they want to do? They want to teach them a new language. So that's what a culture wants to do, is it wants to change the way you talk. Why? Because if it can change your declaration, it could change your destination. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, verse 5 says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision from the king's delicacies and of the wine of which he drank, and three years of training for them, that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. So that's the second thing that a goat culture wants to do, is it wants to change your diet. Why? Because if it can change your diet, it can change your appetite. Because you hunger for what you feed on. <clears throat> when, I was a, when I was a little boy, my mom tells this story, I don't remember it. But when I was small, uh, meaning three years old and, and, and under, I wouldn't eat anything red. I don't know. I don't know why red bothered me. But I wouldn't eat red. And there were certain things that I wouldn't eat. Well, <clears throat> my sisters, uh, I come, I'm the youngest in my family. Don't say anything, all right? And then I have an older sister, three and a half years older than me, and then I have one that's eight years older than me. So, you know, they were, they were quite a bit older. So they, they remember that, and they tease me about it frequently. 
Well, when my mom, uh, when you moved in with her, she moved in with us and, and we began to live together and she began to see how I ate. She was like, oh, you like that? <laughs> yeah. What's happened? Well, I changed my diet and I began to desire. I began to have an appetite for what my diet changed to. By the way, I, read, I, I eat all kinds of red things now, okay? So it's not a problem. But my point is this, is that when your diet changes, you begin to have an appetite for what that diet is. All right. Okay. just want to make sure I got through that all the way. And then verse 6. It's now, now from among those, the sons of, of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. So to Daniel, they gave Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego, right? So they rename them. This is another thing that a goat culture wants to do, is it wants to change your name so it can change your identity. Do you know that one of the names that they gave Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I don't remember which one it was, it was a woman's name. Changed it to a woman's name. Why? Because they're changing the meaning. Man, changing the identity. I loved what W.C. Fields said. He said, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. So a culture may try to call you something. Maybe you've heard names. Maybe you've been called names. Multiple different names. Oh, I've heard them all. Yeah, but have you answered to any of them? Because you don't have to answer. Amen. So... Adult culture ultimately wants to do this. It wants to redefine you so that you will be confused about who you once were. Why are they doing all that? And why did Nebuchadnezzar want to train these guys in particular? It's because he wants to remove the culture that they once knew and wants to create and establish a new culture in their life. Hitler did this. Hitler said, you give me the youth of a nation and I'll have that nation. Why? Because I can create the culture that I want. Nicole and I have have worked in enough churches that we have tried to change culture before. In an existing place, existing church. And let me tell you, I'm thoroughly enjoying this culture because we are creating culture. And we're not trying to change culture I am thankful for that so so let's talk about a sheep culture for a minute a sheep culture remembers who they are you remember where you came from and you won't let anything redefine your identity wow this is why it's so important for us to understand our DNA now another thing a gold culture will try to do is it will give you a celebrity. Oh, I'm sorry, I mean an idol to worship. Celebrity to worship. Look at Daniel chapter 3. Jump over there. Oh, you guys aren't ready for this, I don't think. Are you? Okay, okay. I'm just checking. It's good to see everybody today. I hadn't said hello yet. So, hello. All right, Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 1. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. He set it up in the province of Babylon. And the king sent word to gather everyone together. In verse 3, 
for the dedication of the image that he had set up. Okay, verse 4. Then the king said, to you it is commanded. At the time you hear the music, and he goes in describing the music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. All right, so this is another thing a gold culture tries to do is to pressure you to be like everybody else. I mean, we saw, that's why I showed the, the elevator video. Conformity. It's easy to conform. All you have to do is just do what everybody else is doing. Right? And so it tries to pressure you to do that. Look at verse 8. Then certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they said, there's certain Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they even know their names, who had not obeyed your command. They do not serve your gods nor worship the gold image which you have set up. See, and that's another thing a, a goat culture tries to do is accuse and persecute you. And in our situation, sadly, Christians can, can be sheep with goat characteristics because persecution comes from Christians most of the time. I, I remember this, uh, you know, when we did our production, the 99, and we were traveling doing missions with it. It's a, it was a walkthrough theater that showed the end result of poor choices. So it dealt with suicide, it de dealt with gang violence, it dealt with uh, all these bad things that were killing our teens. Um, <clears throat> drug abuse, alcoholism. And so our advertising was a little dark. Just a little. And so when we would run ads, I heard I heard one of our guys one time said this. He said, he said, Phil, do you know how do you know how I know that our advertising is working? I said, No. How? He said, I know it's working when the Christians begin to call and complain about it. I said, Oh, wow. Interesting. All right. So accuse, accuse and persecute you, right? Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave command to have these men brought before him. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them and said, Is it true? That you do not serve the gods, <coughs> excuse me, or worship the gold, <coughs> thank you Lord, the gold image that I have set up. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the music and you want to fall down and worship the image that I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? All right, now, how many of you know this is where the rubber meets the road? I heard uh, Pastor Paul in Tulsa, uh, he's the pastor of Victory Church in Tulsa. He was sharing about how he was in a theological class at Oral Roberts University. And the professor began to really question um, <clears throat> what he believed and what everybody in the class believed. And he put it out before him. And, it, and he said, by the end of the class, he said, I was literally mad. It, it angered me. He said, and I went up to the professor when the class was over. And I said, professor, what are you trying to do? I mean, is this supposed to be encouraging to my faith? And that professor, he said, he looked at me and he said, Paul, if your faith can be shaken by that, then you don't truly believe. Man. Man, so <clears throat> when we did make the decision, I'm going to be a Christ follower then that means that we take the word of God and we make it final authority. And you make that quality decision to do that, guess what's going to happen? 
the enemy's going to come and pressure you on it. It's going to push you on it. It's going to push you on it. Hmm. I'm standing for my healing. But man, it just seems like everything's trying to rock my faith. Well, of course. Because the enemy wants to get you out of faith so you won't follow it through. So you won't believe until the end. Man, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> okay, where was I at? What verse? Sorry. Okay, so that was... Sixteen, thank you. All right. Shadrach, Meshach, a little rabbit trail. Okay, we're back. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <clears throat> if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So that's the other thing a goat culture tries to do, is it tries to scare you into making the wrong decision, right? It, it tempts you to quit. Think about this, God never tempts you. If you're being tempted to give up, if you're being tempted to quit, that's not coming from God. All right? That's coming from the enemy. And then look at verse 19. It says, so then <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, he's full of fury, and the expression on his face changed, and he commanded that they, that they heat this baby up seven times hotter. Come on. Like that's going to do, I mean, this stuff burns. I mean, it doesn't matter. Anyway, then these men were bound in their coats, so he basically wrapped them up in all these clothes so they'd burn really good, right? And it says in verse 22, Therefore the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished. Home, do the home alone thing. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? <clears throat> and they answered the king, True, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loose walking around in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. How in the world does he know that? Has he ever seen the Son of God? It's amazing, man. Your spirit will know automatically. Man. And then in verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the furnace, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, <laughs> come out here. And they came out in the midst, of the, fire, uh, the midst of the fire. Could you imagine walking out through that? That would have been crazy to be in there. And this is not just a fictitious story, okay, guys? This is this really happened. All right, so then in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted him that they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any other God except their own God. <clears throat> so let me tell you. Yeah, let's give Jesus a hand. So let me encourage you in something. Your resolve, your resolution as a Christian is going to be tested. This culture is going to test your resolution. 
It will test you. What you believe, if you truly believe it. The enemy wants to shake you off of that belief because he wants to get you out of faith. Your faith scares him. Christians who are resolved, who know their identity in Christ, they scare the devil. They scare the enemy. So when was the last time you scared the enemy? No, I'm too. <clears throat> Something to chew on. That, was, I didn't, that wasn't a question I wanted to answer. All right, so, but here's a question for you. Is, do you believe what God said? Are you resolved in your faith? Are you ready for when tests come? Hmm. Or are you letting influence come from your culture around you? Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 16. And then I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to ask for the keys to come. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4 says this. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. Now Jesus is talking about different grounds. The word being sown. And it was sown on the first type of ground. And that ground the enemy came instantly and he took it away. This is the second type of ground. He said these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. That when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so they endure only for a time afterward when tribulation and persecution arises. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Their friends don't think it's cool that they got born again. And now they're going to church all of a sudden. So they abandon them. Oh, man. What happened? I thought we were friends. You know, you commit your life to Christ. And all of a sudden, you know, you get sick and... And, and maybe it's taken a long time for the sickness to be healed. Maybe it's taken longer than you thought and you waver in your faith. Why? Because you have no depth. That's not what we want this church to be. We want every person that we teach on a Sunday morning to be the kind of person that wants to grow in God. Wants it to go deep and to take root. So there is no way that you can be shaken off of what you believe. Because if you can be shaken off of what you believe, you don't believe it. Think about Columbine. <clears throat> I remember I walked through the museum that they had in Tulsa. They had a museum for a season. And they had all the Columbine stories on there. And they talked about the young woman that stood up to the gunman. And he, he said, deny Jesus. Man, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because you're going to meet him. She wouldn't do it. And he killed her. Let me tell you. It's a win-win for us. I, I wish I had brought my rope, but <clears throat> I had this really long rope that you almost can't see the end on. And, and on the end of the rope, I have it taped. And it's this little four-inch section. <clears throat> and, and that represents your life. The rest of the rope represents eternity. One day, if Jesus tarries, either way, if he comes, we're, we're, we're getting out of here. This is a temporary life that we're in. And so, when you have no fear, man, there's so much freedom in that. Because you're like, God, I'm not afraid. This is a win-win for me. And so, if we're not afraid then shouldn't we be willing to be a light in our job, in our school, at the convention, at the restaurant, the gas station? They're hurting people all around. 
You know, it's interesting. Sometimes at restaurants, the, the, a lot of times, waiters and waitresses are going through pretty hard times. Not all of them, but, but many of them are. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm amazed at how many of them will tell you their situation, what's going on. But you know what that is? It's a setup. It's an opportunity for you to say, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah. I was in the drive-thru at Seven Brews, <clears throat> and uh, I met the owner of Seven Brews, and he's a, he's a wonderful Christian guy. I just had a great time talking with him, learning their business, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to start going to Seven Brews once in a while. And I went through, and, <clears throat> and there was this young girl that came out to the car, and she was helping me, and she sounded like I do right now. But she looked a lot worse. I mean, she just looked like she was not doing well, you know, physically. She was getting sick. <clears throat> and, and so she was taking my order on her iPad, you know, and I said, I said, are you okay? She said, no, I'm really feeling sick. I said, well, do you know, do you mind if I pray for you? Because God can heal you. She goes, man, I would love that. Would you pray for me? I said, yeah. Man, I just reached my hand out. Man, and I had, had an encounter with God right there. I, because we have shied away. We live in a society that's, that's so easily offended. You know, you don't want to say different things. I heard this one pastor telling a story. He said, he, said, he, he said, my wife and I used to live in a trailer when we were first starting out because we had no money. And he said, well, you shouldn't say trailer. Another pastor told him, you shouldn't say trailer. You don't want to offend people who live in trailer. You need to say, you know, manufactured home. And he said, okay, well, I'll start saying that. But I'll tell you this. My wife and I, we lived in a trailer. You know, I mean, people are so, so concerned. I don't, want, I don't want to offend anybody. I tell you, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not worth it. Why? Because we are created to create culture. Why are you sheep in a goat culture? Because the Christians have been silent. That's why. I'm going to read to you. Okay, Edmund Burke has attributed uh, this quote to, so I know other people have said it. But he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Just don't do anything. Just be quiet. Why? Well, because then everybody else can create your, your culture, what you're going to live in, what you can and can't own. And they're going to regulate you. All right. I don't want to get into, <clears throat> I want to get into wrong things, but let me tell you, we got to start being bold, guys. I want to show you a picture of a policeman I found. I just saw it online. And I thought, man, this is worth it. <clears throat> man, he's just praying. Praying over his dinner over his lunch but I know Christians that won't do this it makes them nervous well I don't want to offend anybody do you think other people are concerned about offending you no they're not man alright so just a couple more things and then I'm closing <clears throat> some people say well I just don't want other people to get upset let me tell you if you live by compliments you'll die by criticism. Winston Churchill said, you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Not everybody is going to like what you stand up 
before. <clears throat> but some people, but some people, I, and I'm, I've been guilty of this too. Sometimes Christians have been on the other side that they're beating people over the head with the Bible. They said, well, bless God, it's the truth and they need to know it. Yeah, well, you need to go back and read the Bible. It says that we're supposed to speak the truth in love, right? So we do it in a loving, non-confrontal way. Amen? Wow, you don't understand. I mean, I'm the only Christian in my company. You don't understand how hard it is. Well, why don't you take your, your whining little story to Elijah and ask him how he felt? I'm the only one, God. No, no, you're not. I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Wow, all right. So you guys ready for my big finish? Here it is. Everybody have their cell phone? I'm going to ask you to try, take your cell phone out. I want you to help me. You mind if we get a little concert style here? All right, I'm going to ask him to turn off all the lights in the room. Actually, I'll just, I'll grab these right here. Oh, you guys got them? Oh, oh. there's somebody back there. <clears throat> so, go ahead and kill all the lights. Turn them all off. I want it as dark as we can get it. Okay. Oh, is this the two-minute shutoff? Well, we may have to wait two minutes. Oh, there it goes. Ooh. All right, now turn your, lamp, turn your lights off. I mean, we're going to get a concert on it here in a second. <clears throat> but I'm gonna, I just wanted to be the one that had my light on first. Because I like to be the only one. No, I'm teasing. All right, so right now, where are your eyes drawn? It's drawn to this, isn't it? Strong to the light. Now, okay, first, second row, why don't you guys, do you mind turning your flashlights on? Well, why don't you, why don't the rest of you, why don't you go ahead and turn your lights on? Turn your lights on. Come on, guys. Somebody said, I didn't bring my cell phone. I only brought my Bible. Man, you need an award. Thank you for leaving your cell phone. Man, but do you see how much light is being? This is what happens when we begin to turn lights on. The culture begins to change. The culture of this room has changed, hasn't it? Now, I want to read to you a story real quick. Because I thought this was so interesting. If I can get my iPad to work. Listen to this. Listen to this. It said, a researcher went to Indonesia and was floating down a river passing these mango trees at night. And all of a sudden, one of the trees lit up. The entire tree lit up. And then it turned off again. And then it lit up and turned off again. And then every single tree for 100 yards did the exact same thing at the same time. What he realized was there was a critical number of these synchronous lightning bugs that would light up all at the same time. Millions of them all across the trees. So he went back to the States to write an article about this amazing event that he saw in these synchronous lightning bugs. 
<clears throat> but the biologist said, there's no way that this could happen. Think about it. Think about this. Why would a lightning bug want to light up with everyone else when the whole reason that the lightning bug is, is lighting up in the first place is he's wanting to attract a potential mate. And by lighting up with everyone else, you make yourself unimportant. So they had to, so MIT redid this experiment on the lightning bugs using LED lights. And these lightning bugs, they found that if you light by yourself as a, as a, a male firefly, your likelihood of finding a mate that night is 3%. Think about that. 3%. But if you light up with other lightning bugs, <clears throat> the time and the pulses, you know, being in sync with them, your success rate goes from 3% to 82%. 79% increase. All the guys said, amen, amen. All the single guys, I meant, single guys. All right, so listen to what Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says. It says, so let your light shine before others so that they may see the good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> okay, Chris, you can go ahead and turn the lights on. Or just, you know, submit to my lights. But here's why I bring this story up is if we're to create culture around us, then we need to be more than just a sheep in a goat culture. We need to be a, a bright light, a bright beacon of hope and light so that we can begin to disciple others and turn them into a light. And then we're in synchronization and before long, this whole tree is going to be lighting up. So I walked in a restaurant. My wife has a favorite place that she likes to get um, these wraps. And, um, and I walked in the restaurant to pick them up. And the owner came out. And we know her. Her name is Mama Mao. And she came out. And, and I said, and she had this really upset look on her face. And, and she wasn't happy to see me. And normally she's always, you know, just smiles and I said, Mama Mal, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, they, they're making me put a hood in this restaurant. It's costing me eighteen dollars to $20,000. And I'm having to work through the city and work through permitting. And I don't speak good English. And so it's just been a difficult process. I said, well, do you mind if I pray with you? And she goes, would you? She said, and would you pray that my relationship with God would be closer? telling you people are crying out they're right there next to you and then her husband came out and I said hey what's this doing to your marriage they said oh I mean it's stressful we get home and he, she goes in one room and he goes in another because they're together all day trying to make this business go and I said can I pray with you guys and so I prayed with them and then mama Mal goes do you have a moment could we sit down I said absolutely Man, opportunities are opening up all the time to be able to minister, to be able to, to let your light shine. And 
to be not unafraid, unashamed to speak the truth in love. We need it. We need it in our politics. We need it in our government. We don't need separation of church and state. Man, we need we need God involved. Amen? So, heads bowed, eyes closed all around the room. If that's you and you say, Phil, that's me. I am ready to take my sheep brightness to another level. I am, I am ready to let it all shine for God. In fact, I'm asking, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me to for boldness to step out? Let me, let's do this. Here's what I wanted to do in my heart all along anyway. If, you're, if that's you and you just say, you know what, <clears throat> that's me. I, I'm standing up for God. I'm letting my light shine. I'm going to a new level of faith. I just want you to stand up all around the room. I'm not having an altar call. I'm just having you stand right where you are. Come on. Everybody. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands to heaven. All around the room. We're going to use every opportunity. Every opportunity to share the love of God with every person around us. Let me tell you, we got a great opportunity coming up September 21st. We're going to be doing an outreach here in town. Here in Shiloh Square. We would love for you to come and help us love on people. So pray this after me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you that you've put your DNA on the inside of me. Lord, I just pray for those around me. That I would be sensitive. That I would recognize what's going on in their life and how I could bless them how I could minister to them how I could pray for them Lord I pray that you would raise my sensitivity level that people would never be an inconvenience but I would always take the time to minister to every person no matter where they are no matter who they are no matter what's going on Lord, that you would help me speak by the Spirit of God so that their lives would be forever changed. Thank you, God, for working through me. Here I am. Send me. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, thank you, God. Lord, help us be sensitive. Help us recognize hurting people. You say, well, it's not easy. I don't know what to tell you. We're just going to have to do it. We're just going to have to get over it. You know? Can I be transparent with you just for a moment? And then, and then we'll close. <clears throat> I, uh, I listen to a lot of teaching. And man, I get convicted a lot in teachings that I listen to. And I listen to the Word a lot. And, and the Holy Spirit convicts my heart. 
And I, and I always want to be sensitive to that. You know, because if there's an area in my life that's affecting somebody else, that's stopping somebody else, or, or me being able to minister to somebody else, then man, I, I, I want to walk free of that. Because God needs me to be a, a minister. Not, not just at Vision Church, to my neighbors, to my, to my extended family, to people I come in contact with, you know? And so anyway, I, I came to a realization how much, one of the reasons I think pastors speak a lot to what God can do for people is that people are self-centered a lot. And I was. Man, I was repenting the other day because I just looked back on my, on my past. I said, man, God, I was a selfish guy. And I ask you to forgive me. Because when the attention is all this direction, I can't, I don't have open eyes to be able to see this direction. I don't have open eyes to be able to see the needs in other people. And I didn't feel like I was alone in that. And I want to ask you to raise your hand, but if that's you, I just want to take a moment for all of us to be able to lay that down. Is that okay? Can we lay that down as well? You know, because we live in a society, we live in a popcorn society, and God's a crockpot God. And sometimes we just want things to happen so fast that we, we don't have time. We're not taking time to minister to people where they're at. So, Father, I just pray for every person here, Lord. We repent. We ask you to forgive us for being self-centered and self-focused. And we thank you, Lord, for helping us see the needs of people around us. In Jesus' name. You agree, say amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, vision for life.